Sabbath. Sabbath, wow, what amazing series. We've, we've been like, this is our fifth week. I've heard you, I hope you learned so much in this series all about Sabbath, this major theme in the Bible. Um, and it's, it's around this pattern of seven. Seven's a m- massive pattern. Seven means completeness. Everybody say completeness. Completeness. Seven means completeness. It's when, it's, think about it. God stepped into his creation. He, right, he created for six days. And on the seventh day, he stopped. He, he Sabbath. He, he ceased from and he rested, which is why when we got to seven kids, we stopped. We rested. <laughs> it was enough. Enough. Uh, in fact, we got to six kids and I said, Puro, it's not quite, we're not quite complete yet. We need, to, we need to get, you know. So now we've got seven kids. It's complete. It's finished. Um, so if you haven't got seven kids yet, come on. Time's going. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, so this, this seven, this seven means completeness. It's a huge theme in the Bible, and there's so many patterns in the Bible around seven. And I want to share a bit, just a few of them today. And um, When we moved to Hamilton 17 years ago, like, yeah, I was only 10 years old when we moved. Down here, when we brought a whole family. <laughs> uh, and, um, and, and to be honest, we're, we're running away from God. We were. And I thought, well, let's run away from God. And I figured Hamilton's as far away from God as you can get. So we ran away to Hamilton. And I'm, at least I got some laughs in. The first, first service, no one laughed. They looked at me, and obviously they're all born in Hamilton. <laughs> I was just jo- joking. I'll just say, yeah, anyway. And so, and so it was like, okay, you're a tough crowd, tough crowd this morning. And uh, anyway, I had to tell everybody it was a joke too. So when you have to explain it's a joke, and then it's not really funny. And so anyway, um, see, we're, run, oh, we're running away from God. And we end up in a street called Elliott Street here in Hamilton, what's known as Poets Corner. So we end up on Elliott Street. And you know what's amazing is that the name Elliott is derived from the Hebrew name Elijah. Do you know what Elijah means? Elijah means Yahweh is my God. Yahweh. Yahweh is God's personal name. Uh, it's the name that God gave to, Abraham, uh, to Moses as to tell the people what his name is. Yahweh. Yahweh is God. So here's us running away from God, and we end up in a stream named, into a street named after God. Yahweh. Yahweh is my God. Yeah. And guess what the number of our letterbox was? Seven. Seven. That's right. Seven. Seven, there you go. You, you, you know where, did you know where we lived? No. <laughs> seven, seven. And so in this house, we completed our family and we had seven kids. We, we just had two more kids in this house. We completed our family. Also, while we were in this house, we found our way to Elam. And we, and we, we connected with God and we gave our hearts to Jesus while we were in this house. It was also in the same house as where, when um, the then senior pastor, Pastor Bob Lawson, knocks on our door and asks us if we would like to become interns. Now, what it means to be an intern, it means to give up your wage and become a, become a student. That's what it means. So guess how long we served this church without a wage? Seven years. We served this church for seven years without a wage. And on the seventh year, the then senior pastor, who was after Pastor Bob, Pastor Andrew Smith, he offers me a job to be the, to be the family ministries pastor. So on the seventh year, I get paid full-time wages. And I was like, whoa, oh my goodness, what am I going to do with all this money now? You know, who? Yeah, so I was just throwing money away. I don't hardly lived without this stuff for seven years. Who needs money? And so what we did do is we went and bought some steaks. Oh, man. Up until that moment, the only time we had steaks was my birthday and Father's Day. So I was like, we had steak for every single day after a little while. And um, 
And then we decided to get some stuff for the kids. You guys want some steak as well? No, just kidding. Um, and, so, and here's the thing. And so, and um, anyway, and, and so during that season, um, uh, anybody heard of Habitat for Humanity? Habitat for Humanity is this awesome organization, and they, they provide like a rent-to-buy scheme, and they have this rent-to-buy scheme, and, um, and if you're on their scheme, you, you, you pay rent to Habitat, then after X amount of years, then all that money comes back to you, and then you use it as a deposit to actually buy the house, and, and now you become a, um, a homeowner. Well, anyway, out of 100 families, we were selected, and we received this brand new home. In fact, we helped build this house ourselves. Do you know how many years we were in Elliott Street before we got selected? Seven years. <laughs> we were in seven years in Elliott Street, and all of a sudden, we get selected for this brand new house, and we move into this house. You know how many years we lived in our brand new house before we saved enough money to then go and, get and become homeowners? Seven years, that's right. It's like, you know my message? But I'm, man, you guys are really clued on. You're a lot clued on then. No, just kidding. Seven years. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I shared how I, I had this freak accident and I was paralyzed. According to the MRI scans, I shouldn't be able to walk. And I was laying on the floor in pain. And, and I was laying, and then Pastor John Booth comes in and he, and he prays for me and he does this throwaway prayer. And he goes, okay, mate, see you later. And he walks off. Do you know how long I was lying on the floor in pain before I received my healing? Seven years. <laughs> Seven years I laid on that floor for seven years. My family forgot I was there and they would step over me. I became part of the furniture. They would use me as a, as a, table, as a table and put their food on me. No, okay. Seven hours. Seven hours I was lying on this floor in pain. And honestly, I, I said, hey God, I, I get the seven. Could you just give me half an hour in pain? Maybe 10 minutes. Why seven hours? I get it, God. But it's really interesting when we look back in our own lives. When you look back in your own life, quite often you can actually see God, there's some God moments in your life. You don't even realize it. There was God moments happening in your life. And when I look back, and I, and I don't believe in coincidence, and I see the seven just in our lives, crazy. Like if God just trying to get my attention or what, I, I don't know. But the seven means completeness. And I don't know where you are in life. You may feel like that life is not doing you any favors. But I'm here to tell you, that in the sentence of life, do not put a full stop where God puts a comma. Do not put a full stop where God puts a comma. How many times that we think, oh, well, God will never use me? Or something happens in our life, well, I'm, I'm not good enough. And we put a full stop. God will never use me. How many chances? God will never use me. Come on. Don't put a full stop where God puts a comma. You know, the devil thought that when Jesus was crucified, that it was a full stop. He had no idea that it was just a comma. He had no idea because let me tell you something about you, what, what I know about myself as well, that every Christian has a past and every sinner has a future. You get that? Every Christian has a past and every sinner has a future. So we've got this, this theme of seven, these patterns of seven that's in the Bible. And in, in day one, in Genesis chapter one, you know, God creates in six days and on the seventh day he steps into his creation like a king entering a throne room to, to reign and rule with humanity. 
Humanity's been invited into this seven-day rest where humanity can come and rule and, and reign under God's presence and the abundance of creation is around them and, the, and they lived in the abundance of this creation. It was amazing, it was beautiful. Until the thing that God created was lost when humanity decides to step out of God's perfect seventh-day rest, steps out of God's rule and reign and decides to rule and reign on his own accord and decides to rule and reign his own kingdom. I don't need God's kingdom. I want, I'm gonna form my own kingdom and nobody's gonna tell me what to do. And certainly not God is gonna tell me what to do. I'm gonna do things my own way. And so the seventh day rest was lost. The thing that God created. See, humanity may have lost their hope in God. You may have lost your hope in God, but God has never lost his hope in you. He never has. And so what God does is he, is he begins to orchestrate and he begins to set in motion again that one day that all of humanity can step back into his seventh day rest again. And he does this, and he does this by, by raising up this family, but especially a man by the name of Abraham. And through Abraham, God said that through you, Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. All the world will be blessed, will be blessed through you, Abraham. And then, and then Abraham uh, has a son, and his name is Isaac, and then Jacob, and then the children of Israel. And then God says to, to Israel, and he says, on the seventh day, you will stop your Sabbath, your Shabbat, and your rest. And this seventh day rest was a picture pointing to one day that God will, will bring about the seventh-day rest again, where, we, where all humanity can step into the seventh-day rest one day. And then God continues to, to bring on the, these patterns of sevens again with the seventh-day rest. And, and, and then he, he sets in motion for, for Israel to observe these seven festivals within the calendar year. And these seven festivals, these festivals are like holidays. They're like holidays, and it's where, where they stopped, and they, they enjoyed the abundance of what's around them, and, and, and they had a party. Let me tell you something. God loves to party. When you read the Bible, he set in motion parties throughout the whole year. In fact, the Bible tells me that when one person comes to know Jesus, that there's a party in heaven over one soul coming to know Jesus as the Lord and Savior. There's a party. God knows how to party. And he sets in motion these amazing festivals. And it was all again pointing again that one day God will bring it again. He'll will, he will bring it again, this seventh day rest. But this pattern just continues to go on of seven. And, and then every seventh year, it was called the Sabbath year. The seventh year. You know what was amazing about the Sabbath year? The seventh year is that all debts were forgiven. Anybody got any debt? Let me tell you something about the kingdom of God. There's no debts in the kingdom. I heard like a strong yep from over here. I, I heard that yup. I heard, I see that yup over there. <laughs> but yeah, there's no debts in the kingdom of God. But it's more than just physical debts, but it's a spiritual debt. That God will forgive me of my sins. That my debt has been cleansed because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. That one day, this is what God's kingdom looks like. Not just that, but the land will be rested for a whole year. So which means if you, if you own land, you're not sowing that year. You're not like, you're not, you're not pruning anything. What you're doing is you're just living off the abundance that the land produces. It's a picture of one day man will once again step into the abundance of God and live off the abundance of God's goodness and God's grace. And this is what this picture was where the land was rested for a whole year. Not just that, but slaves were set free. Because let me tell you something, there's no slavery in the kingdom of God. Slavery, when God created hum uh, humanity, 
He said, you, uh, you may have dominion over the birds of the air and the animals on the land. Like, he did not say that you have dominion over each other. That didn't happen until man stepped out of God's rest and began to rule and reign and begin to rule over each other. This thing of slavery, there is, slavery has no place in God. Hey, look, if you're going to observe my Sabbath, if you're going to uh, reenact what my Sabbath day looks like, there are no slaves in this land. If you've, if, if, you're, if you've lost your freedom, you're freed, restored. So the seventh day year again was pointing here that one day God will bring about this seventh day rest. But he wasn't finished there with the sevens. He goes on and he goes, uh, oh, by the way, seven times seven years, I want you to stop and celebrate. What's seven times seven? 49. That's right. That's right. I had to get my calculator out the other day and do that. No. <laughs> so seven plus another seven. Oh, I was running out of fingers. I started, I started to put all my kids there. I got seven of them. Just, I just started counting their toes. <laughs> okay, got it. It's 49. 49. Stay in school, kids. Stay in school. That's all I got to say. 49 years. Jubilee is known as the 50th year. Okay, this is where we get our Jubilee celebration. The 50 comes from the Bible. The year of the Jubilee. And I know what you're thinking. 49 is not quite 50. <laughs> but this is, this is how God does it. He's on the 49th year, seven times seven, on the seventh month, I want you to usher in a brand new year. Don't worry about the other five months. They would start the new year early. On the seventh month, they'll usher it in. And it was called the year of the Jubilee. The 50th year started early. Okay, and, and this was the Jubilee. This was the super Sabbath. This, not only were your debts forgiven, not only were you set free, but if you lost land, it was restored to you. If, if, if you couldn't afford your payments or whatever it is, and you lost your family land, guess what? On the year of the Jubilee, it came back to you. You're restored. Everything's restored. This is what the kingdom of God looks like, that you're fully restored, that you begin to live in the abundance of God and that every debt has been forgiven and you begin to live a restored life. This was the super Sabbath. And this was kind of designed that, you, that at least one person will be able to experience a jubilee at least once in their lifetime, every 50 years. And all these patterns of seven, they were all pointing to one day that God will bring about the seventh day rest again, where man will once again enter into God's rest. What's really interesting is that the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah who lived 700 years, oh, there you go, the seven, I'll just notice, that was seven, 700 years before Jesus was born, he begins to prophesy about God's servant, that God himself will come. And, and then in Isaiah chapter 61, he begins to prophesy about not just any jubilee, but the super jubilee, the ultimate jubilee, where God's servant himself will come and bring about this jubilee. God's son himself will come and bring about this eternal rest in Isaiah chapter 61. So what's really interesting is when we turn to our Bibles, if you've got your Bibles with you, or maybe just look at the screen, turn with me to, to Luke chapter 4. And so in the, in the Gospel of Luke, when, when Luke begins to, when Luke begins to, talk about Jesus, and when Jesus begins to make his public appearance, do you know what day Jesus decided to make his ministry public? Do you know what day it was? It was the seventh day, the Sabbath. So here he is, Jesus, he's entering a synagogue, and, and quite often visiting rabbis, they'll get, often get asked to read from one of their scriptures. So he gets handed with scroll, the Isaiah scroll. And let's, let's, this is where we are in the story. Let's read. 
Luke chapter 4. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. As was his custom, he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. Do you know where he was going to, you know what, what the place he found? The place that he found in Isaiah was what we know as Isaiah 61. And what's Isaiah 61 about? It's about seven times seven years, the year of the Jubilee. And he begins to read this in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. And this isn't about people who, 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 are fi- who, who financially, they're, they're not doing so well. This is about people who, 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 what's, who society calls as not good enough. Those who feel who are, 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 are solo, they're not worthy to be part of, and people look down on them. Have you ever felt unworthy? Have you ever felt in a place where, where people look down on you before? Well, well, if you do, you've got a savior for you. Jesus didn't come for, people who, for the people who stood in the light of their own righteousness. But Jesus came for those who had done so poorly that they needed a gift. A gift of righteousness. A gift of grace. Because every Christian has a past and every sinner has a future. And he keeps reading and he goes on. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. See, your, your past does not define you. It never has. and never should. It never defines, so whatever is holding you captive, come on, it's time to walk free. And recover your sight to the blind and let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then what happens next is shocking in the synagogue. What happens next is shocking. Verse 20, and he rolled up the scroll. That's the shocking part. He rolled it up because you're supposed to fold it. No, just kidding. He rolled up the scroll. He rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue was, were fixed on him. Then he began to say to him, and this is the shocking bit. This was the shocking bit. Okay, this shocked everybody. He says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And after he said this, every mouth was open like this. Every eyes were like, and everybody said, oh my God. Gosh, did he just say what he just said? Now, if there was an ancient mic, if there ever was an ancient mic, this would be the moment where Jesus would just drop the mic on the floor and walk out the synagogue. Okay, Because what Jesus is claiming here, Jesus is claiming what the prophets were talking about, what Isaiah was prophesying about. He was talking about me, that I am the one who will, be, who will bring about God's rest and bring it into the now. That I am the Lord of the Sabbath. What the prophets and the law were pointing to, they were pointing to me. And the seventh day rest will come through me. So how did Jesus confront evil? He confronted evil in all its forms. He confronted it by healing the sick, forgiving people of their sins, even bringing people back to life from death itself. And when it came to ultimately facing death, how how did he confront death? By giving up his life. He confronted evil with love on the cross. And do you know what day it was when he was crucified? It was the sixth day. (laughs) It was the sixth day. And, And when they took him off the cross and they laid him in the tomb, remember the seventh day starts Friday night, and they laid him in the tomb, 
you know what day it was when they laid him in the tomb? The seventh day. The seventh day. It was the seventh day. So Jesus lay in the tomb on the seventh day. He stopped. He rested. He Shabbat. He Sabbath on the seventh day. And then on the eighth day, he rose again. The eighth day being the first day of the week, he rose again. And he conquered death. And he ushered in the new humanity, the new creation, came through Jesus through his resurrection. Amen? And he brought about God's seventh day rest that we can begin to walk in and enjoy today. Now, I know what you're thinking. If the seventh day rest, Jesus has ushered in the seventh day rest, where is it? Why, why, is it still, why am I still struggling? Why do I still experience evil in my life? Why is it that, that a gunman can walk into a mosque and kill 51 people? If there's so much evil in this world, why is this all still happening? And, and, and the answer to that is because the world is still full of people who have stepped out of God's rest. It's still full of people who rule and reign over their own kingdoms. And nobody's going to tell me what I'm going to do in my own kingdom. But Jesus invites you to step into his kingdom. It's the now and not yet. The kingdom of God is the now and not yet. The not yet. It's the now and the not yet completed. That we can step into and he invites us to step in to rule and reign. And that the, the, that the, the hope of the resurrection that points to the seventh day rest is how we will live our life. Because what you hope for is what you'll live for. What you hope for shapes what you live for. It really does. And, and if what I hope for shapes the way I, I live, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Jesus who knows the way out. And what does Jesus' example look like? It looks like this. It looks like the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you. Why? To bring good news to the poor, to welcome everybody that, that society pushes away. He has, he has sent me. He has sent you. What, what has he sent you to do? To proclaim release to the captives. I, I want to say something really quickly is that in this room, there are people here, God's called you to, to speak release to the captives. And, and you know who the captives are? It's you. Because in your heart, I don't know about you, has anybody ever been offended before? In your heart, people have offended you. And so you've taken them captive in your heart. How dare they do that to me? How dare they say that to me? And you know what? And you, and you watch them. You watch them and they're having a good time. And go, how dare they have a good time? How, how dare they? Have you, have you ever been there? Have you ever thought these kind of thoughts before? Or, you know, and then something bad happens to them. And you're like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. But inside you're jumping for joy. Yay! They got what they deserved. You ever felt like that before? And you know what you realize? Is that they're not the ones who have been held captive, but you've held yourself captive. And when we step into the rest that Jesus offers us, this is what it looks like. Stepping into his rest, stepping into the kingdom of God means this, that, that I'm letting go of the captives. I'm forgiving them. They don't owe me anymore. I'm setting the captives free. I'm receiving God's forgiveness. This is what it looks like. What does it look like, the seventh day rest? It looks like, it looks like you walking into your community and inviting people to come in and enjoy God's rest. How did Jesus do it? Through acts of love. By going to those that society pushed away. By forgiving people. 
by healing people. Because what you hope for will shape the way you live. And if what you hope for shapes this, this is what your life will begin to look like. You know, I want to end on the story about a man by the name of William Booth. True story, way back in the 1800s. William Booth, he was a failed street preacher. He was a pastor of a church that failed as well. And, and, and he thought to himself, is this my, my lot in life? Is this all I have? One day he gets invited to speak at this East London tent campaign. And what you need to know about East London, East London is, is an area in London that you don't go to if you value your, your safety. You understand what I mean? East London was the place was, was, was where the lowest of the lowest lived in London. And not only that, it was also Christmas time. Do you know what the weather is like in England at Christmas time? It snows. It snows. So the only speaking gig he can get is at East London in a tent and it's snowing. So he rocks up and there's only a handful of people there. There's only a handful of people there. The amazing thing is, is that the people there, they're like the lowest in society. A whole bunch of them get saved. He leaves there and he begins to walk home and he's because it's cold. And he, wants, and he has to walk through the streets of, of East London. As he's walking through the streets of East London, what he sees shocks him. He sees families living in alleyways, huddled together around makeshift fires, living in boxes. He sees children standing bare feet outside a pub while their mum and dad drinks their last dollar because this is how they fed their addiction. He saw women selling their bodies on the street so they could get money to feed their children. And it broke his heart. It broke his heart. And when he got home, he walked in and he looked at his wife and he said, Darling, I found my calling. William Booth goes on to form the Salvation Army. And within five years, 22,000 people come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. In fact, today, most of the world, child labor in most of the countries is abolished because of William Booth. Even today, the Salvation Army is the number one organization helping people to get free of addictions of drug and alcohol. All because one person saw the hope of Jesus for the community. One person decided to take the rest that God offers and begin to offer it to his community. What will you do? When you begin to live the hope of Jesus in your life now, what would you do? Let me tell you something. I know this is true. None of us can change the world. But we can change someone's world. Why don't we start with that? Let's change someone's world. And when we do that, we begin to step into God's rest. Every Christian has a past and every sinner has a future. Because this is the day of the Lord's favor.